25 years ago, on March 15, 1998, the Miami Fusion kicked off their opening game in MLS's third season, becoming one of the two expansion teams in this ever-growing professional league. While the Chicago Fire would win the U.S. Open and MLS Cup double in that 1998 season, getting all the attention in the process, the Fusion would quietly grind, grow, and build over the next few years until finally putting forth a dominant Supporter Shield winning season in 2001. This team, led by Ray Hudson, played fast, loose, and exciting soccer. Alex Pineda-Chicon, Pablo Mastroeni, and Nick Romando were just some of the memorable names on this roster. This progressive playing squad was bested only by a young Landon Donovan and his San Jose Earthquakes in the Major League Soccer playoffs that year. Despite putting together one of the best seasons in MLS history at that point and arguably since, MLS made the decision to fold both the Fusion and their Florida neighbors, MLS original franchise, Tampa Bay Mutiny. While MLS soccer has returned to Miami in the form of David Beckham's Inter-Miami, much has been discussed of what could have been had the Miami Fusion been allowed to stay and build. Indeed, what would a Miami Fusion look like in 2023? This podcast tells the story of the Miami Fusion through the voices of those who actually lived it. 25 interviews across 25 episodes charting the good, the bad, and the unbelievable. My name is Joe Shaw, and this is 25 for 25, the story of the Miami Fusion from those who lived it a detox production. Join us all season long as we explore this unique slice of American sports history. This is a great sports event. This is the best ticket money can buy in South Florida. And it rocks, it absolutely rocks. When you're a young goalie who gets drafted in a first ever college draft for this brand new professional soccer league in America in 1996, what's your mindset? Jeff Kassar joins the podcast today to talk about what his mindset was like getting drafted by the Dallas Burn in the 1996 draft, but that's not really why he's on the show. He's on the show to talk about his four years with the Miami Fusion. Jeff was the goalie from 98 through 2001 for all four seasons of the Miami Fusion. He started the very first game in Miami Fusion history, March 15th, 1998, 25 years ago. And he shares his experiences and his perspective backstopping this incredibly highly energetic and exciting South Florida team all those years. He talks about his struggles with injuries, which prevented him from being able to be the starter all of those years, what it was like working with current Atlanta president, Garth Lagerway, sharing the goalpost with him, not just in Miami, but in Dallas and really following uh, each other around uh, for some of their career. And then what it was like working alongside a young upstart goaltender named Nick Romando, who would go on to MLS and American soccer fame. Join us for chapter two of 25 for 25, We Liked to Win, where Jeff details his entire career and time with the Miami Fusion and also talks about what the Miami Fusion legacy meant to him 
and what he hopes it means for a new generation of MLS fans. 25 for 25, the story of the Miami Fusion from those who told it. Chapter 2, We Liked to Win, featuring Jeff Kassar. You had a different path, right? So you were drafted in the inaugural 96 draft to Dallas, um, a great team if I, if I say so, but not as great as Miami Fusion, right? Um, but you got drafted to Dallas and then uh, were out uh, with a knee injury, I believe, in 97 and then got picked up in the in the uh the expansion draft with miami so talk to me about i'd really like to get your perspective and what it was like for you coming out of college directly into this brand new american league what was that like for you well it, I'd, I'd also been training with the the 96 olympic team so uh you know that whole team was was stacked with talent and um you know, we were all getting ready to, to be pros together. It was, it was kind of unique, uh, that we're all going into the league in 96 on day one. Um, but it was really, you know, we had, we had a very good team in, in college as well at FIU, um, that, that went there four years. So we had, you know, I, I've been blessed to play with uh, a lot of extremely talented people that helped me get better. Um, and be in competitive, competitive uh, atmosphere uh, to make that transition from from college and an Olympic team uh, into the inaugural season of MLS. And so, being part of that sort of first that tr- first draft class, what were um, some of your initial aspirations? Obviously, being with Dallas, you were you were paired with Mark Dodd. So, what was it like for you, kind of coming in and having? Um, sure, like a like a rookie men- mentality of being drafted, but also working with someone uh, uh, the caliber of Mark at that point. Yeah, I mean, well, just blessed, uh, you know, to to have such a mentor and and great man, not just great uh, goalkeeper, but a great man. Um, but the first year in '96 was really weird because I think I was drafted what seventh overall and. Um, I was still with with the Olympic team, so we were living in in DC, and I would fly in just for games with the burn, and then when the game was over, I'd fly back to DC, oh, wow. and we would train train for for the Olympics. So the first year was was complete chaos, uh, you know, because we were there just just to back up the uh, the starter, yeah, and uh, but. But going back to to Dallas, you know, I mean, Mark Dodd was an unbelievable goalkeeper. Yeah. I mean, he probably doesn't get enough credit like he should. Yeah. Um, but he was his angle play, uh, his decision making were were some of the best that I've ever seen out of anyone. Um, and it was just a blessing to see how he, uh, you know, really thinks the position. Um, not just gets out there and makes saves, but he, he was a thinker um, and he was a blessing and we're, and we're still friends to this day. That's awesome. He lives, he lives out here in Dallas with me. That's awesome. He was, he was, I, I think you're right about that. I'll just, I just want to spend just a moment for those who may be listening. They're like, why are we talking about this goalie in Dallas? Well, we're talking about Dallas because Jeff's career is Dallas and Dallas, Miami, Miami than Dallas, right? In, in a lot of ways before Salt Lake. And so um, it's a point that I, I think it's key and I want to go back to where you talked about being around uh, such good players who could p- 
push and and kind of drive that competitive edge that helped you get better. And then by extension, right, you're helping each other get better. And so there was several goalies that you were were with throughout your career that were some top-notch. Mark Dodd being such a tremendous one. And I think to your point, a lot of people don't remember him in the same way that they remember a, a Nick Ramondo, right? Um, and, and maybe even uh, remember, now we're seeing guys like Andre Blake, obviously, doing such incredible things with Philadelphia. And so, but with Mark, he, he did have sort of a unique thought and, and positioning. And so his approach to the game was, was unique in a lot of different ways. And so I'm interested in how training with him, um, cause you were there in 96, obviously you came back and forth with the Olympic team. Um, but then being with him in 96 and then you were, I know you were injured in 97, but were you still with the, with with and around the burn in 97 yeah it, it happened it actually happened in at the i believe that in an extra well it happened in training session but towards the end of the season in 96 okay um i i tore my uh ucl my ulnar collateral nerve uh ligament in, in my elbow it's basically i had the tommy johnson uh surgery Oof. and uh yeah but i i still stayed around uh with the team the entire time um and ended up making it back for the last like few exhibition games that we played at the end of the season that went went really well before I went to uh Miami with Cacho. That's right. So with with the ability to I think what's interesting to me is with the goalie position is the fact that um you there's so <laughs> There's a limited space, right, that a team can hold on to. And so you have the ability to to be a part of such uh, greatness in a lot of ways and then also push yourself to be the guy, the number one in, in that case, or in your case, the double zero, right, um, it, as it were, with, with the burn. Um, Not just one zero, two zeros. Right, right, double zero, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but to have that to have that shirt and, and then constantly be realizing that there's only so many spots that can be on the team. So when... I do want to, because this is Miami Fusion Podcast, and there's quite a bit of goodness that I want to get to and talk to you about. Let's fast forward to when you got drafted in the expansion draft in 1998. And you were, uh, I'm trying to see, I had it here in my notes about what number you were drafted. Um, uh, 10th. I think you were 10th overall in that inaugural expansion draft with uh, with the Fusion. Uh, well, as the Fusion and the Fire were participating, but you were you were selected at that point by the fusion. And so what was going through your mind as kind of a young player coming back into uh, coming back from the injury, you you've come back from the injury at this point, and then you're selected by Miami. Obviously you went to Florida international. So there's some connection to Florida, but what yeah. was going through your mind at that point to go to Miami initially? Well, I was really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm a competitor. I want to be on the field as as much as possible. Um, and, and it was, it was an opportunity and, you know, I went to school at FIU. I mean, I knew everyone down in South Florida and it, just the, the energy and the passion and uh, having a soccer team in Miami. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, that's amazing. It's sick. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to be part of that. I had a lot of friends from school there still. Um, so it was an easy transition. And, and also, uh, you know, the assistant coach from Dallas burn became the head coach in Miami. And, uh, it was a, it was an easy transition for, for me. That's right. That's right. And you were given 
the the gloves, right? Given the number one jersey, given the gloves, given the ability to start from day one. And so yep. I think to your point, being the competitor and wanting to to be on the field and push yourself, there's no there's no better way to push yourself than a brand new team day one. Here you go. Here's the goal. Here's the ball. There you go. You got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, now as as we're recording this, it's 25 years since that inaugural game on March March 15th, 1998, which is just wild to think about. Um, there is um, there's a video. So I'll plug this on on, on YouTube. Now I'll put I'm going to put some clips on, on Instagram and Facebook for folks. But someone has put sort of the full game of uh, Miami versus D.C. United, March 15, 1998, on YouTube. And it's a nice grainy VHS recording. So with the, the tracking and everything, oh, uh, the, I mean, it is, is great. Like, uh, it's funny. I'm watching the video and I'm just like, oh, you got to hit the tracking button. It's not leveling out, right? And I'm like, wait, it's YouTube. What, what am I saying, right? But some of these things are ingrained in us. But but to that point, so you, you've got that initial game. Um, unfortunately, you all ended up dropping that decision to nothing. We we wouldn't get the victory until the third game in the old school MLS shootout against Tampa Bay. Uh, Leo Cullen got the the brilliant uh, winning goal in that in that match, and you came up big with some saves there. Um, but what was going through your mind in the ramp up to this the kickoff? Obviously, you've got Carlos Valderrama coming on to the team. You mentioned the former assistant at Dallas is now the head coach at Miami. You're you are the guy in net. How does this team come together? in one of MLS's very first expansion iterations? Well, we had a lot of veterans on that team. Um, uh, you know, Clay Coyman, Wade Weber, uh, Dan Stebbins. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a ton, obviously. But there was so much veteran players because you got to choose the players that you wanted from the teams in the expansion draft. So you, you knew you needed some veterans to, to start the, the season. Um, and then you got to mix in some young players uh, that you can get on your roster. But just the excitement for the people that have been in South Florida for so long and not to have a team. Yeah. And now they have their team back. And it was it was special. You could see, you know, you had a lot of young people in San but there was a lot of people that had just been waiting for soccer to come back to South Florida. And to, to be part of that, to see their – their passion and their, their excitement. And it, it was awesome. I mean, they were, they were singing songs like they had been together for a long time. Cause they, <laughs> they used to do it with the, with the Fort Lauderdale strikers. Right. And uh, you know, it, it's pretty cool. And that, that, you know, Miami has to have a soccer team yeah. there. It just has to, it, it just doesn't seem right when there wasn't one there. And uh, now that inner Miami is, is doing really well and, and, they're just a great organization, top to bottom. Um, you know, it's going to stay in South Florida forever now. Yeah, I like that you brought up the strikers because that was something that Jimmy was talking about when when he was on. Right, is the fact that he grew, he was watching the Cosmos and the Cosmos with the rivals with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. So, to your point, soccer had been ingrained in South Florida since those days, and people were just waiting yeah. and waiting and not having it, and then the fusion here, and then fusion go away and now enter Miami's back. Yeah, it's here. I agree. It's there to stay. Um, so, the, and, and I'm glad you brought up some of the veteran presence because you, you are correct. Wade Weber, former Dallas guy was there 97, uh, as well. Uh, right. And Clay Coyman, um, Dan Stebbins, right. Uh, and then you also have got 
you know, Diego Serna, who's there, and then a young guy by the name of Pablo Mastorini. I don't know if anybody's heard of him, right? It's no, not, no. not like he's had any kind of career or anything, right? Um, so you've got a good blend of quite a few veteran presence and some nice young guys who, who can do that, who can do what needs to be done and help grow the organization in the way that ideally uh, Miami wants to grow. Miami did eventually get to such a dominant performance in 2001, winning the Supporters' Shield. Um, those early days were a little tough. It was uh, it was a bit back and forth, you know, a couple wins back to back and then a couple L's. Um, whereas Chicago, I think what was interesting, obviously Chicago won the Open Cup and MLS Cup double that year in the inaugural season. Um, so I want to know what were some of the early conversations that y'all were having as a team um, as you were sort of figuring things out, going through those growing pains. And I also want folks to understand while this is an expansion team, it's not that different from all of the other teams because it's only their third season. Like the league is still in its infancy in so many ways, but what were some of the conversations y'all were having maybe individually and then also like as a team and then comparing yourselves to inevitably to Chicago, your expansion neighbors. You know, I think I think we start. We wanted to start off with our defense because you know you you gotta when you're putting together a team, it's it's got to start with defense and and just being competitive. You know, we were competitive that entire year. Yeah, we just had a hard time finding the net uh, at times. Um, I think I had what six or seven or eight uh, shootouts. Yeah, that that year. And we won them all besides one, I believe, maybe, maybe even won them all, but yeah, no, we were, we were a grinding team. You know, we were grinding out results and, and we weren't too, too far off from making the playoffs the first year. Correct. Yeah. Y'all actually, uh, I believe the only year y'all missed the playoffs, I think was in 2000. I'm going to double check that real quick for us. Um, but, but yeah, so it was to your point, competitive, grinding out results, keeping it close. And, and honestly, from what we know of the fusion, right, that's sort of the ethos of the team throughout is grinding out results, keeping it tight, working hard. And sometimes, sometimes you find the back of the net and sometimes you just can't. And on the years where you could, that's where you saw the most success. Um, yeah. So y'all made the, um, y'all made the playoffs in the last seed in the East that year. So the fourth, four out of six, and then dropped to DC United in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Obviously the, uh, the what's interesting. So I would say a lot of discussion and chatter. I know I'm going a little bit forward and we can work our way back, but a lot of the chatter around um, from the league about, you know, one of the reasons why, Miami and Tampa Bay, for that matter, ended up getting shut down at the end of the 2001 season was lack of engagement, lack of fans. As we know, we talked about the fans were engaged. They were excited to have a team in South Florida. There were other reasons, you know, perhaps many reasons um, for for the decision to shut down two teams at that point in time. And then it definitely in the long term allowed the league to grow. I mean, look at it now. Right. We've got almost 30 teams, uh, which is wild to think about um, at this point. Um but but at that point, I want to know, obviously, you're in such a huge stadium, Lockhart Stadium. Some days, we talk about the opening game, at over 20,000 fans packing into the stadium. And then other other weeks had, you know, you know not cracking 10,000 sort of over the years, right? So there was, it was back and forth and back and forth. 
what was it what did you see from your perspective as sort of a fan and community engagement that very first year we talked about the enthusiasm but um, what were some of the ways in which the fusion were connecting with fans when there weren't games going on well we did a lot of stuff in the community um, and you have to when you're when you're starting a team like that and um, you know that's big we did a lot of work with the youth soccer clubs uh, in the area uh, in in all of South Florida to be honest with you um, so that I mean that's key that's key you have to do things in the community you have to bring people together you got to let them know that we we appreciate them being there and supporting us um you know the first year we were we were packing the house we had we had some big names on the team um that you needed um but i think we were always solid in attendance and especially the last year when yeah. we you know had an extremely gifted team i mean yeah. it was our our bench could have been starting on almost 90% of the teams uh in the league yeah. but we were stacked and we were packing the house then my from what i remember i i, I think that there was a little bit of a financial uh hit to the market and yep. you know the owner didn't have the the best deal with the stadium you know yeah. he was, and and you you know we didn't he didn't have parking didn't own the stadium was renting it you know and that's a lot of money going off the top and if the stock market started to do a little yeah. bad you know you don't want to lose lose money right um but uh but that last year we were we were slammed and and really south florida needs a team that's entertaining yeah. you know they you, you have to win and you and they want to be entertained and yeah and they know soccer. So if it's not up to snuff, they'll tell you <laughs> right away and, and let you know. And, you know, you can't get away with anything down there. You you have to bring it and you got to entertain. It's got to be a style of soccer that isn't kickball and, and grinding out. They want to see the beautiful game. You know, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the financial aspects. There's two, two things I want to, I want to connect on. One is the, the fact that I think a lot, I think, a lot of fans, I will say, and maybe a lot, a lot of the population to a certain extent, uh, soccer watching population. But I would say a lot of fans of MLS now may take for granted how many teams own their own stadiums and have such soccer specific stadiums. Whereas, I mean, you're talking about you talk we're talking about Lockhart Stadium not owning the stadium, not owning the parking. And I remember you know the Burn running out the Cotton Bowl, um, and then all of these teams running out all of these large football stadiums because that's all that existed. And if you didn't have right um, a relationship like the Crafts in New England, right, then then you're gonna be out of pocket significantly. I think in the last episode with Jimmy, he talked about the you know a number floated at one time was it was a hundred thousand dollars just to turn the lights on for a game right at the stadium with all sure. of the things that go involved with that. So you just take that and then add on things like parking and concessions and and then extrapolate that for a whole thirty plus game season. That's a lot. And if you've got to cut cut um, cut things here and there, and then the stock market. And for folks that may not be aware, also. We're talking about 2001, so 9/11 had happened in 2000 in 2001, um, the Twin Towers, and so that caused a lot of fluctuation in the stock market at that time. Um, so there were a lot of uncertainties, is is what I'm saying, and so it can be hard um, to make the case in this in 
for a sport that has historically had a bit of an up and down engagement in this country um, and where the NASL did end up folding uh, fairly spectacularly after a lot of promise. And then you have teams that are Lego, not even owned outright by like the hunts and the crafts and the ant shoots. Right. Um, yep. it, it's hard. There's so many factors. And so um, uh, we talked about with Jimmy, those like you know, hunts, crafts and shoots sort of playing the long game and saying like, no, I'm going to double down. I know this is going to work um, yeah. when others didn't have faith. And now obviously we see the reward. So yeah, that's a good point that you bring up a lot of, lot of uncertainties, which can lead to, the decision to close a team. And even though rocking the house, playing fast and exciting soccer, being dominant, um, those are some hard decisions. So now yeah. I want to, I want to wind the clock back um, uh, and talk, talk about what it was like. Uh, I, I really, I just want to ask, like, let, let's do this. What was it like to play as a teammate with Carlos Valderrama? What was that like for you? Well, I mean, he literally was a magician with the ball. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, it was also unbelievable that he could make such an impact in the game and do very little running. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he was just so intelligent that he was never chasing or he was just looking and finding uh, gaps. And he was just unbelievable. And a quick story about him was every time I could, I was pretty good at stopping PKs. Mm -hmm. I could never stop him ever because he was one of the very first uh, players that waited for the goalie to move. Mm -hmm. Normally, you know, it was always, I'm going to pick my spot, go there, beat the goalkeeper. But he would wait till you moved. And if you didn't move, you felt like you were in quicksand and couldn't react to it. And he would just pass the ball right in the net. And you're like, <laughs> if I just stood there, I could have picked it up. But it, it he would mess with you. He was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, I'm curious now. Um, I, this is fresh on my mind. I want to get, since we're talking about PKs and we're talking about goalies, and you are a goalie extraordinaire, so i got to ask you, um, with um, as we're recording this, um, I just watched uh, uh, the FC, FC Dallas hosted Sporting Kansas City, and there were two penalty kicks that were taken. Only one counted. Yeah, Martin Postock. Oh, yeah, you saw And so he had the encroachment, right? Um, the encroachment. Yeah. Uh, and for those that don't know, the hell is he talking about encroachment? I'm talking about goalie's got to keep, uh, was it both feet on or behind the line and can't move off of it until – um, you can move side to side, just can't come off of it. That's right. Until the player hits it, I think is what it, it is. It. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's the rule. And so it was judged that uh, Martin Poss came off uh, before the ball was struck, even making an incredible save, made another save that that did count. Um, and then later got a red card that was rescinded because it was awesome. It was wild. It was just wild yeah. game, wild game. Um, here's your plug to go uh, watch MLS season pass and you can see the game. But what, what from your perspective, having that type of a rule now, how do you think that would have affected your approach to your penalty kick um, practice? Shoot, I don't, I don't really think too much. I wasn't one to big coming off my line because I always felt it maybe took away my time to react. Mm. If you're coming forward, you cut down the angle a little bit, but you also cut down your reaction time. So I was more of dive forward rather than move forward. Gotcha. Uh, but 
Um, my 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 thought process on on pe- penalties was I would just I would look at the shooter and I thought if they're crafty players, I think they like to bend it more. Hmm. If it's a big strong forward or a center back type player, they're more of slot with power to me. Yeah. And so what I would do is line. I would think of where they're going to go, and then I would line up just a little bit off center where they and I would show a little bit more of one side mm. and then right before the the shooter would hit the ball I would fake one way and go to the way that I wanted him to go that's awesome it worked out pretty good yeah yeah <laughs> and then the goalkeepers that I, I worked on uh, with Nick Ramondo he was he's arguably maybe the best ever in the MLS yep. for, for, for stopping PKs, you know, first of all, he's quick as a cat. Yes. Um, and, and, but he's also got a knack for uh, knowing what shooters are, are thinking or wanting to do. And you saw that in the, in the 2009 MLS cup final against LA too, right? I mean, it was just, well, that whole run, right. That whole playoff run, but especially the, the finals where it did go to PKs. I mean, it was just. Yeah, wild. I was, I was, I was his goalie coach. Right. Well, I mean, that's what, that's why I was making the connection, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, and we did a lot of studying too, you know, I mean, we went back and watched every, everybody's PKs that they've taken for the last, for uh, that was in what? 2009. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, we had a nice library of, of PKs there yeah. and we watched them all and we kind of put together where we thought, think they were going to go. But Nick Nick had always the last uh, last say in whatever he was wanting to do and was feeling. Yeah, that's awesome. You um, let's fast forward a bit from '98. So we talk about '98, rough, um, a, a rough, uh, rough and tumble type of team to grind out and get to that fourth seed in the playoffs, losing to the eventual finalist DC United. Um, to good team. Who, Yes, excellent. Led by Mark Wedgeberry. Oh my gosh, incredible, incredible team. One of the best teams in the MLS that that, that year. Was, they were fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And it was. I, I'll even say as a as a kid watching them. Um, so uh, not to make it about me for a second, but when I started going to the games in '98, I was a ball kid. Had that beautiful yellow Snickers ball kid shirt. Got. <laughs> This is what's so funny. I got yelled at by my fair share of goalies because I didn't realize um, when you're home, you may want to, like, take a couple seconds before you, like, drop the ball down if you're winning. And if you're losing, you hustle that sucker out. Like, let's get it back and play. Wasn't aware of that, right? Didn't know about that. And so may or may not have gotten yelled at by a certain Matt Jordan once for being – I don't remember if it was too fast or too slow. It was one of the two. Dallas ended up winning the game, and he came out afterwards and was like, I'm so sorry, man. It's just all in the game. I'm like – you're fine, uh, Mr. Jordan. Like, it's so nice. Like, have a nice day. Like, it's okay. It's it's whatever. Right. But anyways, I digress. But watching him on, like, having a front row seat and not having to stop anything was incredible because m- the skill that Marco Echeverri and that DC United team had was un- unbelievable. It was silky smooth. They were quick. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah, they were fantastic. They were amazing. So let's switch ahead to 1999. Um, so the second season of the fusion and what happened. So during, um, well, I guess even backing up. So midway, I think it was midway through 98 when Carlos Cordoba 
got let go as manager and Evo Wortman came in. So let's maybe pause before we go to 99. For you as a player, having just for the fusion, played for Carlos Cordoba, Evo Wortman, and Ray Hudson, and seen three different approaches um, to to managerial style at the fusion, what was going through your head um, at that point in time when there was that manager shift midway through the 98 season? You know, I wasn't thinking about it too much. Um, you know, I, we, we had a job to do. Um, you know, it's never easy uh, coaching – an expansion team you're, you're having to to put a lot of pieces together um and you know but e- when evo came in he brought a different style than cacho uh very organized very stern um accountability and it was a it, it was a little bit different with cacho so it was it was a little bit of a change to you know mentality and how we're we're going about things um, you know, there was, you know, I know Carlos Valderrama was not happy about the, the change. Yeah. Um, and so then you had a little bit of Evo and P Bay kind of <laughs> trying to figure each other out. Um, but we came together, um, you know, he was a good coach, very organized, um, but just a completely different type of, uh, philosophy than, than Cacho had. Yeah. You know, and I just, I went back and I just wanted for folks to be aware of. So, uh, Cacho, Carlos Cordoba was let go in July of 98 and leading up to his dismissal, Miami gone on a six game losing streak and then ended up winning a couple of matches in shootout. Um, so kind of as a shootout wins. Um, but I think it was that, that's multi-game streak, right? Which really did him in at that point in time. And then you see once, once Evo comes on, the results start picking up. Yeah. There's a few losses, but there's significantly more wins. And that I think is what propels y'all into the playoffs at that point in time. So I think that organizational approach is definitely what you were talking about. Um, now coming into 1999 second season, you've got Evo starting out. Um, Valderrama, uh, is not happy in Miami. We talked about maybe some of the personality clashes. Goes back to Tampa Bay. Uh, we talked with Jimmy. He comes down uh, in April from the Metro Stars um, to uh, to Miami. What was the vibe like from your perspective coming into the Fusion year two? Obviously, you're splitting duties, I think, eventually with current Atlanta uh, oh, I forget his title, but he was with Seattle, uh, Garth Loggerway, but I president. Yeah. president. Yeah. Um, so you split duty duties with him for that season. Um, but what was your, well, I, I, had, yeah, I had suffered a ACL injury at the end of 98. Okay. And so, uh, Garth came in when I wasn't going to be able to play and just a funny story, Garth and I, he was our, uh, general manager at Real Salt Lake and, you know, obviously one of the best, if not the best general manager president now uh, in the MLS. I mean, he's, he's had success everywhere he's gone, but, but Garth literally, we, we joke around his career was going to every team I got hurt on. Right. <laughs> That's true. Cause he was at Dallas too. Yeah. Yeah. A couple times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was crazy. Every time I got hurt, they would call him in <laughs> and we'd hang out all the time. And then we would be battling against each other. And then I'd get hurt. I got hurt a lot too much. Um, but uh, yeah, he followed me around everywhere. 
<laughs> Even coaching. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> so, okay, so Garth comes in as you're coming from injury, and then obviously you get um, – the, you get the, the job back because you end up, uh, you played 15 matches that year. Garth played 16. So it's right there. Uh, Dusty Huddock. I don't know if I'm saying the yep. last name. Right. So he, he was did, in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was in for a couple of games as well. Um, but what was yep. your, what was your, so obviously we talked about mentality, just getting down um, to brass tacks and really focusing on 1999. Um, what did you? What uh, maybe what aspirations did Evo lay out for this team in year two as you were going about things? Well, it, it was, you know, we're not an expansion team anymore. You know, we're 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 now wanting to compete and try to win the MLS Cup. You know, the first year, it's almost like survival mode back in the day. Right. But it was it was a very professional atmosphere, competitive um he, he was a good man. Uh, and, and also, you know, what players can you start to bring in to make the team better, deeper, um, you know, a little bit more experienced in, in some areas. Uh, cause the expansion draft, you kind of go veteran and young. Yeah. You don't really go in between at, at that time. So now it was, can we now start to, to make the roster better and, and find players that fit his style of play. And I mean, one of those players that came in uh, was, uh, you know, a guy, I don't know if people have heard of him either, Eric Winalda. I mean, just, just, you know, just really a, every, it seems like a, a made up name, right? That no, it's not, doesn't resonate. No, but Eric Winalda came in, was in for 99 and then uh, 2000 and you've still, and then we talk about Jim Rudy comes in um, and, and Jay Heaps was there as well, who went on to have a fantastic career also. Um, yeah. And so, one of the stories that Jim told, um, well, this is this is the Ray Ed scenario, so I'll I'll come back. Well, I'll go ahead and say it, um, but but I'll I'll tie it in with with Evo as well. Um, you know, Jim talked about coming in and, and sort of be, while not being there from the start, Indy not becoming like the de facto captain, eventually was the captain, um, and then really being a leader in a lot of ways. And told a story about Ray Hudson told him, all right, hey, no matter what I say to you, I need you to just take what I'm about to say. And goes into the locker room. Y'all are like down at the half. And he's like lays into Jim like, what was that? What was that? All right. Hey, Precky, you were all right. You were good. Hey, over here, you're doing all right. Hey, just keep it up. Just keep it up. Jim, what are you doing? What is this? What is this? And and the guys are like, whoa, you're being a little too hard. Let's 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 go out there. Let's get fired up. And then y'all come from behind and and get a result. And Ray was like, thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. And Jim was like, oh, what? 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 Why do I got to be the guy you got to yell at? Like, what? what's going on? Why has it got to be me? Um, but what was it like to have sort of that? I bring that up to say you got some more veteran presence, right? So you talked about veteran and young, but not kind of in the middle. You're getting some of those middle pieces um, still yeah. like kind of youthful, but like a, like a Jim Rooney, right? We talked about Eric Winalda. Um, so so filling out that team, how did it how did the the team mesh at that point um, starting the year and, and going forward. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, it's, it, it just says a lot to, to the veterans that were on the team because you can either have a veteran who doesn't want anything to do with the young and, you know, I got a job to do, they got a job to do and go on. But then you can also have veterans like uh, Eric and Jimmy and, and so many others on the team that 
know it's important to bring those guys along for the success that they're going to have. But also those guys did care about the club. You know, we cared about Miami Fusion. We were proud of it. We were proud to have soccer in South Florida. So they 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 took on that responsibility of not not just winning games, but also being good leaders and and mentoring these young players. And shoot, you can talk about the young players that were on that team with you know the Ramondos, Collins, Mastroeni, Heaps. These guys have gone on. You know myself. Um, Tyrone Marshall. Yep. Um, these guys are went on to to do coaching afterwards, you know, and it's and it says a lot to the to the mentors that we had um, to to keep carrying it on in the MLS, you know, not just stop playing, but moving into the coaching ranks, and you know, now they're GMs and presidents uh, in in all different levels of the league, um, USL. Uh, and then you got unbelievable coaches, you know, that are there. Uh, it, it, it says a lot to to the leadership. I think that's a it's, it's so cool to me to think back and look at all of these names that pass through this club in such a like such a short amount of time. This club is in existence just four years and how how f- widespread Everybody has gone within soccer, within this country, and the deep impacts that have been made as a result, right? And I, I think it does come down to, um, you know, one of the things we heard was Evo, you even mentioned it yourself, Evo, very organized, very tactic-driven, very focused on the task at hand. And then Ray, kind of to counterbalance that, right, very like, I'm just going to get out of you, your way and let you play. And I'll, I'll fire you up, and I'll get you there, and I'll give you some pointers, and I'll help train you. And I'm going to get out of your way and let you play. And so it's like you kind of have both of that mentality and then you kind of make, mix in your own and you got that South Florida like magic and passion. And then you really can just go to town and have a party um, oh, yeah. m- more or less. Right. Um, we did. We did party too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you not? Right. You're there in Miami. How, how can you not? Right. Um so in 1999, you end up having a, a similar year to 1998. So the results, the fans are showing up. They're there. They're excited to watch the team play. They'll end up as the fourth seed in the East again. And again, lose out to DC United in the first round of the playoffs. Something about Barco Echeverri, something about that, fl- that flowing uh, lock, something about DC United just can't. It's the boogeyman, just can't get past it at that point in time. So... Ending 99 and getting ready for the the millennium, getting ready for 2000, what was on your mind as you're going to that season? You've got two seasons down uh, at this club. You've been the starter. You're a pro uh, for multiple years now, and you're really focused on, all right, let's, let's get some ground. Let's make something happen. What was your mindset like at that point in time? Well, just, just to keep growing. Uh, just to keep growing, keep learning, um, to try to stay healthy. Um, you know, I was starting to pick up injuries that were, they were big ones. They weren't, they weren't small ones. You know, I'd, I had UCL in 97 and then I had my knee reconstructed in 98. Um, you know, just to, to get back to full strength because that 99 season, I remember 
from my ACL surgery, I was in a game in three and a half months, which was uh, insane, right? Yep. Normally it's nine to 12 months, uh, but Eva wanted me to get back. I was training super hard, uh, you know, to get ready. And that 99 season, I was in and out a lot because uh, my screws started to back out of oh. where I had the surgery. So it was really painful. But to make a long story short, it was really just to get fit and and get strong, not just to play, but to play at a level and be consistent, uh, always being a starter. Uh, that that was the goal. Yeah. So starting the 2000 season, the 2000 season was the really, truly the only kind of down season at that point. And so we talked about you didn't get as much playing time, you picking up some injuries, um, trying to get back to, to full strength. And and also in the midst of all of that, um, the Fusion pick up a young goalie by the name of Nick Romando, um, fresh faced, ready to go, uh, excited to be here. Um welcoming everybody. You know, I don't know. I'm just like adding some commentary, right? He's not the the um, goalkeeper of the year, MLS Cup winning, World Cup roster making Nick Romano at this point. He's a fresh-faced kid showing up into, into South Florida. What was your first impression of Nick entering training camp, being there around, around the team? What were some of those early uh, uh, impressions you had of him? Well, shoot the young the young players that we had that year, you know, with with Beckerman, yeah. Ramondo, Jay Heaps, Pablo Mastroeni, they were they were like a breath of fresh air because they were they were exciting players. They were flashy players, but and they had awesome personalities. But they were super big competitors. They were fun dudes mixed in with fun guys. I mean, we we had a lot of personality on that team. And the and they could hang right away, and uh, you know I was really really close with Pablo, Leo, and Jay, and and Nick. They lived, you know, a quarter of a mile from me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember I used to give Beckerman ten bucks and have him pick up my daughter from school so I could go golfing afterwards <laughs> and, and hang out with the guys a little bit. Uh, <laughs> But he was only what 17, 16. Yeah. At the time. yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how how he was able to drive at that time. But <laughs> um, but but these guys were these guys were special, you know, um, both on the field and off the field, uh, and it was excitement. I mean, Nicky was he was a flashy goalkeeper who could make be- amazing saves, and then would let something easy in. You know, he had yeah. quite. He hadn't solidified his game, um, and then as he started to grow and and get more experienced, uh, you and and get and when I worked with him a lot when I was when after I had retired, he he just turned into, I think, the the best MLS goalkeeper ever. Yeah. yeah, I really do. You know, I mean, there's been some fantastic goalkeepers in this league. Um, but for the duration and everything that he's done for the goalkeeping position, I mean, his, his feet were fantastic. His distribution was, was top notch. Um, you know, and he wasn't the tallest dude, yeah. right? Yep. But he had a presence and he came for the same balls, uh, six foot four goalkeepers came from 
and the guy could jump through the roof. So yeah. it was awesome. I mean, I enjoyed competing with him every day when we were competing. Um, and, uh, you know, he brought, uh, another level of fire out inside me and, uh, but, um, couldn't be more blessed to have been part of his playing career, but then even more involved in his, uh, when I started coaching him. Yeah. It's uh, it really was special, uh, with that season. And this is what, this is what is so fascinating to me within sports and specifically soccer, but within sports, I think a lot of times people look at such an incredible season like the 2001 Fusion, right? And it's easy to look at it in in sort of in isolation of great team, great talent, everything coming together, fantastic. But then you miss out on what were some of the building blocks that had to be there the year before and even the year before that led up to such an incredible season with everything coming together. And, and several of those things were those young guys like Beckerman, right? Ramondo and Master Andy, these guys getting on board and really just like, hey, baptism by fire. Here you go. You're playing. Get out there, learn, make mistakes, and then grow. And then get to a point where you're dominating on the field. You're doing all this hard work. I think it can be easy to forget about there's, a, there's sort of a foundation that goes into an incredible season like that. And in that 2000 season, um, that was the only year that the Fusion missed the playoffs, just barely missing out on that last seed um, and it was struggling for results, too. I think some of it was you had a young goalkeeper that was playing a lot of the time. Like you said making a big save and letting some easy stuff in while you were recovering from injury. And then a lot of young guys trying to really figure out what their role was on the field. Jim talked about um, the pressure starting to get to Evo before he was let go. Um <laughs> even told a story about wearing sunglasses at night in the middle of a game. And uh, people were like, what, what, what's Corey Hart doing here? What's, uh, what's going on with, with Evo at that point in time? Um, but really just there was a lot of pressure. And then even hearing about, is the league going to be in existence? Is the league going to fold the team? What does that look like? So much swirl and chatter. Obviously, you know, as having been a head coach, how much there is in the atmosphere going on at any given time. Um, but then what was it like from your perspective on when Evo was dismissed in 2000 and then Ray Hudson, who had been doing community engagement for the Fusion up to that point, uh, is brought on board as the manager? What was your perspective like at that time? Well, we had, we had, we had a good team, you know, yeah. when, when Ray took over and, you know, he 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 brought Ray is energy, right? Yeah. It's it's energy and it's positive energy, and it it radiates into the players. And you know he was he was a great man manager. He he knew how to push buttons. He knew that he could yell at Jimmy because Jimmy could take it. Right, he'll take it and wonder why, <laughs> but he knew he could take it. And then he would pat somebody else on the butt even though they weren't bringing it and you know, young players need to feel uh, encouragement and belief. Um, if they make a mistake, they're not going to be out. You know, you gotta, you run with them. But then we started adding some, you know, unbelievable pieces with Precky and Ian Bishop and Ian Wohn and Chris Henderson and yep. Chacon and Serna, you know, the, and, the, and there was, intelligent soccer players everywhere mixed in with a mix of young players 
that had energy around those guys to kind of let them do their thing. And it, the balance was just unbelievable. You know, yeah. Carlos Shimosa and and Tyrone Marshall, and then Ive McKinley, who's a a magician with his left back. Everyone could play soccer on the field. You yeah. know, there was no bruisers, and you, we were missing some. Everybody could play soccer. The bench could play. You had Lazo, Alavania. Uh, I mean, the the bench was unbelievable. Uh, who else am I missing on the bench? But it it was it was it was just beautiful soccer, and I like. There was times I wasn't playing, but I was like, okay, well, I can live with not playing when that's going on in front of me on the field. Okay, yeah. If it's not, then you get frustrated, right? But sometimes you got to go. Okay, well, this is this is going on, and uh, we're part of it, and and that was a special special year. I mean, I. I I thought we could have e- easily won it. Yeah, that year. Now wh- we lost to what San Jose. Yeah, yep. And and we battered them. Yeah, yeah. So, I you know I think it's interesting too because uh, looking back at some of the results in in two thousand, right? So there was sort of a string of losses or um, shootout results. Uh, early to start the season, no real momentum, and then you see Evo get dismissed. Ray comes in, and then it's sort of you know, kind of a 50-50 rest of the season, a lot of wins and then quite a few losses. And so the back and forth as sort of that foundation takes shape. And then in 2001, we'll shift there. I mean, it's just the the wheels come, like wheels come off, doors open. I forget what the analogy is, but it just goes full tilt, right? It's just full tilt at that point. Everybody's going ham wild, ham wild. I don't even know if that's a thing. Hog wild. There it is. That's what it is. I feel like, yeah, there it is. I feel like ham wild is a little like tamer. Like, oh, okay, yeah, ham wild, hog wild, right? Yeah, whatever. Anyways, I digress. People don't care about this. Um, but 2001, 2001 is where it really took off. That's when, to date, to date, the only piece of silverware by a MLS team in Miami has has gotten, right, this 2001 Supporter Shield, just an absolutely crushing performance all year with style. Right, you talked about you. If you're in Miami, you got to play soccer. You got to play it well, and you got to make a show of it when you do it. You can't just win one nothing and grind out every win. No, we, let's get some pizzazz. Let's get some theatrics. Let's do this thing. And it just and you brought in Alex Pineda Chicon. She talked about who was just dynamite. And and Jim told a story too where he noticed Diego Cerna was always good. And sometimes would show up and be powerhouse and sometimes would, would be stuck right in that first gear. But when Chacon came, helped put, we talked about the competition, right? Needing to push each other to get the best out of each other. He said he saw Diego Serna recognize the competition and wanting to step up and show up and be there. And that's where, from an offense standpoint, the ball keeps getting put in the back of the net. So I know... I know that in the 2001 season, uh, you didn't play too much. Nick Ramondo really had the starting spot at that point. Um, so what was your mentality like, um, sort of taking a, a bit of a different role than you had taken before on the Fusion heading into that last season? Well, it's, not, I, I, it, it's still to this day, I have the same, same type of thought process is, 
all I can do is the best I can possibly do. I can't control anything else. Right. I can't control what the other goalkeepers doing. I can't control the, the coach's decision. Um, I just want to make it as hard as humanly possible to say, Hey, you have to go with this dude. And, uh, if you win it, you win it. If you lose it, you keep working till you change his mind. Uh, or when the other one starts to slip up, you're, you move right in there and then you got to be ready to take it. So that means you got to train hard every day. You got to be prepared every day, uh, for, to, to be, to be playing. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's what I, that I, I believe that wholeheartedly that all you can do is control what you do. And sometimes that's not enough. And sometimes it's enough and it's up to a coach and that's why they, they have to make tough decisions. So I wanted to make the decision as tough as possible and compete with somebody that I truly love and, and call a dear friend. Um, and it is what it is, you know, but, uh, that that's, that's my philosophy in life. I got to say, and people probably don't, don't give you enough credit in this way, but when you're in training, training hard every single day and pushing someone like the caliber of Nick Ramondo as well to his best, right? He's got to be at the top of his game because you're right there and you're at the top of your game and you're training hard and you're pushing him that, that it, it makes him it empowers him to show up and show out because um, he knows like you're right there. Right. And I know y'all are friends and y'all are, y'all are helping each other, but also from a competitor standpoint, right. That's in the back of your mind. If you're just showing up and you're like, eh, just picking up a paycheck, just picking up yeah. a bench spot, not a big deal. There's that, there's not a pressure to perform. And maybe as a competitor, you do still want to show up and perform, but we all know to some degree, if we've played sports, like if you don't feel the, the breath of someone right behind you, you're like, meh, maybe I can let my foot off the gas a bit. So I got to say, I think that is um, not as, uh, I would say the unsung hero in a lot of ways is is pushing them to be their best because you're right there like, I'm ready. I got my gloves. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. You're good. That's fine. But I'm right here. So I like, I think that's cool. Well, again, like like I said, that, that whole team was stacked. Yeah. I mean, our bench, we, you know, every day is a, is – when every day is a competition, you're automatically going to get better right there. Yes. Um, because the, like you said, you're pushing yourselves, you're pushing each other all for the, the, the good of first of all yourself, but then the team. And that, that's where that special, it doesn't happen a lot. Um, yeah. it, it's happened a few, t- a few times in my playing career and, a, and for a, a good percentage of my coaching career, is when you can get that locker room and everyone is is on the same page competing, but then laugh, but then are together and laughing at the right times. And that that season was that. I yeah. mean, we went after it. We hated everyone hated to lose on that team. <laughs> we didn't we didn't do it too much. And then when we won, we all liked having fun together. Yeah. And celebrating the win. It was just all about winning. And we, we celebrate even when we lost a couple of times. <laughs> well, I think there's two there's two interesting things I wanna I wanna kinda circle on as well. On the training standpoint, um, you know, as we're for those that may be listening in, in another twenty five years, right? I'm I wanna give you a slice of life right now in twenty twenty three. Um, the CONCACAF Nations League is about to kick off. Um, 
And I, when people will be listening to this, it will have already wrapped. But right now, when we're recording, it hasn't kicked off. And Matt Turner gave an interview about his time uh, training with Arsenal and, and being there in competition, which helped, in his, in his words, prep him for the World Cup to take the starting, the starting job. And he talked about um, understanding he needed to raise the level of his skill set and that he was getting regular reps when he was starting for New England, but understanding that when he went to Arsenal, he had to be faster every single day because his job was to push Ramsdale to be the starter. Like he said, if I'm not pushing, I'm not going to be here at Arsenal, even as a backup. So that is my job. And he said it helped me get sharp, faster decision-making, faster off my line, faster, faster, faster. And he said, it's put me in another class of a skill set where I wouldn't have been there. So I think to your point, that's where you've got to just push and push and push and be there um, and be ready to go. And then the other point you talked about the team being together, right? So RS was the RSL's motto uh, was the team is the star, right? And so I think you really saw a lot of that early on with Miami, where I think in a lot of teams you still had uh, like um, Marco Echeverri, right? Or Carlos Valderrama, where you've got a star and a team. But with Miami, you really ha you had some star players, but you really did have that sort of team is the star mentality. Um, and so it's interesting to me that you've been connected sort of with, with two teams that have that kind of that similar mindset uh, for sure. Um, now, Jimmy talked about, right, you go up against Landon Donovan's own San Jose Earthquakes in the 2001 uh, semifinal. So you win the first playoff, finally winning the first playoff series against Kansas City. Uh, well, finally winning the first playoff series, first time playing Kansas City in the playoffs, right? So I don't want to complete the two. And then l dropping the, the series to San Jose, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Jimmy brought up some, like, perhaps, you know, uh, perhaps it's a nice story if Landon ends up winning the MLS Cup in that first year. Who's to say? Um, but, but you know, who's to say? Who's to say? But... Definitely battered the earthquakes, right, um, and took it took them to the limit. So, what was your mentality like um, in the? I would say, well, let, let, let me even walk back. So, I've done a lot of talking. I want to get your perspective. I wanted to just tie things up for us. Um, when you won the supporter shield, winning that winning that piece of silverware, being declared the top team in the regular season for Miami, how did the team approach? that sort of accolade at that point. What do you remember about that moment? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people have different thoughts on that. You know, what's more important, winning the cup or winning the supporter shield? Um, and you, you, you can you can look at it several different ways. But being being the best team over the regular season, that's something that that is big time. Yeah. You know, it shows you've done the work every week. Um, you've brought it, you've been consistent. Um, obviously you got a very good team, but then you got to regroup and say, that doesn't matter at all now. And now we have to go for, for the cup and we can, we, we, there, it, it wasn't hard with that group of, of players, you know, and that energy that we had, I mean, we, we could have kept playing a whole nother season and we would have wanted to keep winning and, and have that winning feeling. We like to to win. We like the feeling after a game you've won, hang out with your boys, and then let's get back at it and do it do it again. Let's have fun. Let's work hard. Let's win and have some fun together. And that's kind of what we did nonstop. It was like train hard, have fun together. Train hard, have fun together. Even during the week. And then it was play hard, 
win and uh and then and then have some fun together <laughs> play hard win and have fun i like that yeah i mean that that, that was really what we did and the, and uh the coaches that's what they wanted too they were they were right there with us it's interesting to me when i think back on the uh the team and we talked about like if the team had continued um you would have wanted to keep winning and it's interesting like i i often think about if the fusion and the mutiny didn't go anywhere, but the league continued to grow at the rate that it did. Yeah, RSL Chivas 05, TFC comes in in 2007, Seattle 09, Vancouver, Portland 11, right? You're continuing to build without having to contract in any way. I'm curious as to what, what that looks like. And in fact, it's interesting now. I wanna, I'm going to fast forward a bit. And I heard an interview with Phil Neville, current Inter-Miami head coach. And he talked about the need to, you got to play with style if you're playing in Miami. You got to be fun. You got to win. You got to play hard, win, and, and then right, and then like go have some fun, go party. Like that, that's the Miami way. And he, he like got it. And he was this English dude, right, who just understood this is where I'm at. I'm in Miami. And there's so much connective tissue with what you talked about, about playing for the fusion and what it meant and what it felt like. And then also to, connective tissue with what it was like um, when the Fort Lauderdale strikers were there, what that vibe was like. It's the same. The same soccer community is there, and they're ready to support the team, whether it's a striker, a fusion, or inter, right, uh, the, the inter-Miami Herons. Um, it's the same. And so it's interesting to me that that people are – you pick up on that really quickly, um, and I just love it. I, it's It's still alive. It's still there. Um, and it's ready to just latch onto something big. Maybe that's Lionel Messi coming over. Who knows? Who's to say, right? But ready to latch onto something big and huge. So um, now I want to before as we're starting to wrap up, I got a couple questions I want to ask you. But before before I even wrap up with with those questions, let me get your perspective on. I heard from Jim that when the fusion when the news came out that the fusion the league was contracting, fusion Tampa Bay no more. And the players were going to be dispersed out to the rest of the league via, uh, I think it was a conference call, uh, like a few days before a 2002 training camp. What was what was going through your mind leaving the team? We know you eventually come back to Dallas um, and, and finish out your playing career uh, with with Dallas. Um, but what was going through your mind at that point um, before, like post 2001, before coming back to Dallas that time period? Just nervous, a lot of uncertainty. You know, uh, I was a, I was also a young uh, father, mm-hmm. and you're just you're you're just you're just in limbo in your life. You you don't know where you're going. Uh, you pray you're gonna get picked up. Um, you know, and it, it it's it's a difficult time for, for everyone. Um, I can't imagine how the people in the front office felt too, you know, what are they going to do? You know, it, it, it was just, it was just a horrible feeling cause you, you, you didn't want it to happen. Yeah. Um, but you know, then you got to put your big boy pants on and, and realize this is the life of a professional athlete. Um, and these things happen. Uh, expansion drafts don't happen too much or dispersal drafts or whatever right. they're calling yeah. at that time. Right. They're not, a, yeah, you're, you're not expanding, you're getting smaller. Right. Dispersal uh, draft. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, 
but yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta deal with it. And, and uh, you know, I had loved my time uh, with the Dallas burn and created relationships there. And uh, you know, I always knew that that could be a, a place where I would come back to because I left on great terms and uh, there's wonderful people in that organization. Uh, so I kind of had an idea. Uh, they, they needed a goalkeeper at the time, big time. Um, yep. So it, it was tough. You know, you're wondering where you're going to be living, who's going to be your coach. Do, are you going to have a job? Yeah. Uh, and then you, and then boom, you got to find a place to live where you get, where you get picked up from. It's just a lot of, a lot for, uh, especially not just a young player, but for any player, but for a young, younger player, uh, it, it's, it's tough. As we're wrapping up, I want to ask you two questions. Well, it's really one question with two parts. So I want to know first, what was the legacy? What's the legacy of the Miami fusion to you? And the counterpoint to that is what do you want it to be for fit new fans? of MLS? Hmm, that's a great question. Well, you know, when I, when I, I always have to think of Fort Lauderdale strikers and what, 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 how they started soccer in South Florida and the, the, the legacy that they had um, and the, the fan base they created. And then, you know, hopefully we, we did well there and wanted to carry that on. Um, and, and especially in the last, uh, year, uh, of the fusion, we played the style of soccer that they were proud of, um, and happy to be part of and part of history with the supporter shield. Um, but with inner Miami, it's now take it to the next level yeah, and, and, and become, a shining star of the MLS, you know, I mean, when you think of South Florida, you think of stars, beautiful people, exciting, full of passion and life and everything. And you, they can do that. I mean, from ownership, they got it from coaching staff. They got it from now facilities. They got it. Um, just keep, keep aiming higher because uh, you know, South Florida needs it deserves it and when it's hot it's gonna be the the best the best thing in south florida i mean yeah. if inner miami is in first place and playing beautiful soccer they're gonna be the the star of the town they really will and uh you know they got the group there to to do it and they're they're keeping adding pieces um and you never know if that one dude messy comes uh, you know, that's a Who's game say, changer, right? It's a game changer. You yeah. know, I mean, think about that. You know, you're talking Miami heat with Shaq and Bosch and Wade, you bring yeah. Messi there and some others and they'll, they'll follow. It, it's going to happen. It's yeah. going to happen because everybody loves Miami. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether you're in the States or in another country, they know inner Miami because of South Florida, the, and then now they're seeing the facilities they have. It could be a shining uh, uh, star for the league. That's right. That's right. Well, I think that's a good point to end it because there, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, it just thinking of exciting football, soccer, 
in South Florida is what this league needs, what this league deserves, and frankly, what the country's waiting for. We've had LA, we've had New York. We're ready for Florida. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> 25 for 25 is a detox podcast production. Music production provided by KCWM on Spotify and YouTube. Recording, editing, post-production, and hosting has been completed by me, Joe Shaw. If you would like to follow along with this podcast, you can subscribe to it directly wherever you get your podcasts or by subscribing to the Detox Podcast feed. For more information about this and other Detox-produced podcasts, be sure to go to detoxpodcast.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast.com. And a special thanks to all those who took the time to share their story with me. If you want to continue to support this podcast, please share it with a friend and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it currently. Though Miami fans nowadays are decked in pink, I'll always bleed blue and yellow. Hashtag Fusion Forever.